Hello there, and welcome back to the Senate Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Johnston, and today we have a really fun episode. We're doing a retrospective for Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. I'm joined by Tony, the Chosen One, Quinn. How do you like How do you like the Chosen One title? Uh, you know, I mean, um, it's a lot of weight to bear. You know, I got a lot of people counting on me to bring balance or whatever but uh you're you have to bring balance to the podcast yeah well you know i've i think uh i was born for such a time as this so whatever this is what um i'm gonna take a blood sample and you're gonna have midichlorians they're over nine thousand. <laughs> if if they're if your midichlorians are high enough then you can co-host <laughs> <laughs> I think we're going to do a type of retrospective where we just look back at the Star Wars movies. I want to go in somewhat of an order. I would like to do the numbered ones first, all the episodes. So one through nine, starting with one, ending with nine, and then we'll, we'll figure it out from there. But The Phantom Menace, there's a lot we could say about this one. But I want to start with The Phantom Menace because essentially George created one story, and that was episode one through six and the way he describes it is each episode is essentially a chapter within the story and then he says each film uh, fits into a larger mosaic and we're dealing with micro stories in each episode so i think you know george started in the middle and we can get into that but i want to start with episode one and we can start from the beginning where everything is being set up where everything's being introduced and we can just go through the story in in order within the world and story of the Star Wars universe. Do you like the way George did it with um, starting in the middle and doing four, five, and six, then going back? I mean, I've, uh, you would know this more than me, but I think I like saw a quote from him that he said uh, his idea for what he wanted the prequels to be uh, weren't like the filmmaking technology of the time of making the originals yeah. wasn't, up to par with how he wanted to represent that vision exactly so i think it makes sense like and, and like it it really speaks to the quality of the original trilogy how like it feels like very like gritty and you know like rustic like it has that kind of feel to it um and you know because they were using a lot of practical effects you know they were having some problems with like certain things which we'll talk about when we talk about those movies but yeah, it like it lines up pretty well, and you know, like I see, you know, a, an artist um, making the best out of the resources that he had, and that's what a true artist is supposed to do. Yeah, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. And one thing I do want to say is actually a quote from George. He talks about something called he talks about cyclical motifs. That's one thing that's going to be a reoccurring theme. Which I mean, that's the definition is. Um, a cyclical mo motif. So he likes to start in the middle of the stories. That's what he did with episode four. He started in the middle of the overall story of Star Wars that he had planned. Because like you said, he had episode um, one through three outlined from the very beginning. But the technology wasn't there. Each episode actually starts in the middle. So we talked a little bit about George and the overall idea he had for Star Wars. We're going to go through each episode. So... Let's just dive in to The Phantom Menace 
it starts in the middle of um, an interaction between the Jedi and the Separatists. He likes to start in the middle of the stories. So he starts in this, uh, this very first chapter into the story of Star Wars. And I'm just going by based off what he thinks. You know, obviously we have more than just six Star Wars movies and whatnot. But this is the first chapter that he created. So I, would, I just want to get into the mind of uh, George Lucas and what he, was, what he was doing while he was filming and creating these movies. Because I think that's going to help us to understand the movies even more to analyze why George did what he did. So he starts in the middle of this interaction between the Jedi and the Separatist. So before I get into why he made the decisions with, you know, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan and the Nemoidians and the droids and whatnot, the whole blockade and that fun stuff. What do you think about the opening of the movie from the crawl to uh, starting with the trade federation and separatists? That's a very exciting topic. <laughs> well, I know I'm you glad. have thoughts on it. I know I, you have thoughts. <laughs> I I'm glad you asked, Caleb, because some of my problems with the movie start with this opening crawl. So I knew it. Do you remember in A New Hope, the opening of that movie is Princess Leia sending a message to some guy named Obi-Wan, who we don't know yet, and he's yes. crucial to you know how this war is going to turn out, and if they don't reach him, basically she, it seems like he could help turn the tide. And, you know, like, we find out later he was a Jedi, you know, that's been in hiding. And it's like, oh, wow, the Jedi are these important heroes. You know, they're involved in some big-scale stuff. And then in this movie, I've written here, why are the Jedi here? Because we go from that to there is a dispute about the taxing of trade routes. So they send two Jedi to help solve a trade dispute involving taxes and i'm it's just like what like they like why are the jedi here like I, there was something really funny about qui-gon and obi-wan just sitting at a table drinking tea or whatever just waiting for the uh new gun ray to show up so they could talk about taxes i'm like was this the best uh way to start this whole thing i don't know it's yeah it's it's, it's strange <laughs> it's strange and i love i love it <laughs> the, so uh, uh you know a recurring theme or motif throughout probably all of these retrospectives is i'm gonna love everything george lucas does <laughs> i i i just love george lucas i like how he does things how he i love thinks, how he tells stories everything i have a lot of quotes from him i get I'm going to I'm going to drop some knowledge, okay? I always found this time period extremely interesting because it's not the empire and it's not the clone war era where Jedi have uh more power essentially. This is pre-clone wars, which I always found pre-clone wars very interesting because this isn't um the old republic. It's not the high republic. This is a this is a weird time. This is one of the only I think, you know, really one of the only pieces of Star Wars media out there that's during this time. Of course, you have Master and Apprentice and, you know, Dooku Jedi Lost and Plagueis, you know, some books around this time period. And there's some cool things going on, but essentially everything going on from the start of this movie, from right before the start of this movie to the start of this movie is involving Anakin's fall. 
So I love this time period for one. When the movie opens up, you get the Jedi and whoever's on their ship, uh, they're transmitting to the Separatists. And Newt Gunray says, well, it's legal for us to blockade right here. So you you immediately jump into, um, you know, a, a taxation, you know, this, this blockade going on for taxes and stuff um, with Naboo in that system. Very uh, boring. It's, it's a boring movie. This is probably the least exciting Star Wars movie, and it has some of the best action in it. But it's very boring. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, yeah, I know you have something to add to that, but you brought up uh, Qui-Gon. I find Qui-Gon extremely interesting, and I just went back and rewatched the first scene <clears throat> because Qui-Gon, he kind of follows aside the Jedi. He's not, um, he's not wanted in the Council. But they want him as a Jedi. People call him a gray Jedi. I don't, I don't see that as a thing. I don't see a gray Jedi as a thing. He just has a different set of beliefs than the Jedi. And that will come up as a very important thing later on in the story when Anakin gets involved. But when they start out, Obi-Wan says, I sense something you know, in the Force. And Qui-Gon says, I don't sense anything. And what's funny is Obi-Wan isn't known for his Force abilities. He actually has a very low midichlorian count he's just a very skilled uh, duelist and obviously he's just very capable but he's not known for his force abilities so it's it's funny that obi-wan can sense something that qui-gon can't and i was wondering why that was the case so obi-wan says it's not here i sense something else out there um that's going wrong who knows what that could have been i i don't i don't know but qui-gon says focus on here and now Obi-Wan brings up the teaching of Yoda, which is something that we were talking about before we started the podcast. In the original trilogy, Obi-Wan says that Yoda was his master and what he was trained by Yoda, correct? Yeah. George Lucas brings up in the commentary for this movie, specifically talking about Anakin, how when they bring in four sensitive younglings at a very young age, probably three or four, as young as they can, you know, as young as they can, um, you know, bring them in. Yoda trains them until they're about the age of seven or eight, and then they're given to a Jedi Knight as a Padawan. So technically, that was right that Master Yoda did train Obi-Wan. In the opening of The Phantom Menace, he even says that. He says, uh, Yoda trained me to do this. But what Qui-Gon's response is, he says, pay attention to the living force. That was his response to him. And I think this is a big distinction between how Qui-Gon uh, thinks and believes compared to the, you know, probably overwhelming majority of Jedi. He says, pay attention to the living force. And Yoda always told Obi-Wan to, you want to be mindful of the future. So Obi-Wan is trying to be mindful of the future. And I'm going somewhere with this. Qui-Gon says, not at the expense of the present. Think about the way that Yoda trained and uh, kind of mentored and taught Anakin. He told him to think about the future. And Anakin had that specific ability to where he could sense things that were going to happen. So what happens when you take somebody that is so uh, has such a high midichlorian count and is so capable as Anakin and you give him the teachings of Yoda and not Qui-Gon? That's the distinction between 
Qui-Gon and the other Jedi, specifically Yoda. And you can see it within Obi-Wan in the first uh, opening three minutes of the movie. You get to see how wise Qui-Gon is and how he influences Obi-Wan to kind of become that Alec Guinness Obi-Wan that we see in the um, original trilogy, where he's a little bit more wise. You know, he's not as, you know, run in and, and handle things as he is in, in The Phantom Menace because he's still a Padawan at this point. So I actually love the interaction between uh, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan throughout this entire <clears throat> movie. I think it's one of the best relationships and dynamics and duos in the entire you know, Star Wars franchise. Qui-Gon is, you know, a beloved, you know, beloved Jedi. Everybody loves Qui-Gon. So I just love seeing them at the beginning of the movie, even though they're dealing with taxation and Newt Gunray and the Nemoidians. Um, it's very, it's, it's interesting to me. I just thought so, of yeah, an interesting parallel with, uh, because, uh, you know, like a famous thing that, uh, George has said that's kind of become like a meme is, uh, certain things in Star Wars rhyme. It's like poetry, like, like the whole saga is essentially yeah. like a giant poem, you know, and like every stanza rhymes with the next one stuff. In this scene, Obi Wan's sensing something bad in the future, and Qui Gon's telling him to be mindful of the present. Yes. In Empire, Luke is sensing things in the future involving Han and Leia, and Yoda's telling him to focus on the here and now. And then in Last Jedi, he gives luke that lesson again i didn't really i never put that together till now that that's like a nice a lesson, thing that like pops up yeah yeah a lesson that yoda learned because of anakin yeah um and we get to see that we get to see this whole thing start in the phantom menace and i think that's one of the reasons phantom menace is a boring movie it is the setup and introduction of the characters we meet throughout the rest of the movies so George has to take the time and actually take a lot of um, exposition to establish these characters. And it's it's fun what he does with the uh, exposition because that's why we get secondary characters in this movie like Jar Jar, the Gungans, the droids, uh, even uh, the way Anakin is portrayed in this movie as a secondary character. All right. Anything else you got to say about the, um, the fun taxation and, and blockades <laughs> in the first part of this movie? In a way, it kind of feels like a Quentin Tarantino movie in terms of, like, you know, like, you have all these people in one location and then, like, rising stakes, rising stakes, rising stakes, and then, you know, there's, like, a big climax where, like, everything just, you know, hits the fan and unfolds. So I actually like the the structuring of it. I mean, I still think it's kind of a little too... Blame. boring and dull but yeah. this is probably the movie in the prequels that feels the closest to the original trilogy in some ways in terms of like I, I would, I would how agree it with looks that. and yeah. like how it you know feels in certain ways so i'll say something about that real quick george had a lot of ideas um, specifically for episode four that he wanted to use but he couldn't and that has a lot to do with the set design and even some of the locations they film that he couldn't use for episode four so he actually implemented them in this episode. So I would agree with you. Phantom Menace feels the most like the original trilogy because I think he used the Phantom Menace to capitalize on a lot of things he missed out on in the original trilogy. And for example, one is Coruscant, which we'll get to. But I got two more things to say about kind of this first, uh, this first part. This was actually the first time that the entire set was filmed on blue screen. They did not 
have any kind of um, on-location site for this uh, bridge scene. Really? Yes, it was all blue screen. I thought so, it looked like it didn't look as obvious to me as some moments in the other movies. Like I thought they were using a set like they did in A New Hope when they're on the ship in the opening. I thought it was yeah. something like that. I didn't know that was also blue screen. Wow. Yep. The um the the opening scenes were the first time they film with absolutely no set. So that's going to obviously be a theme where now VFX and technology, uh, ILM and George are going to use it a lot. The story you actually brought up in the Last of Us analysis review that we had, the difference between the main character and the protagonist. And I thought that was was really interesting. So can you explain that? Yeah. So like in stories, sometimes like a lot of stories, like the main character is also the protagonist because they're like yes. at the center of everything. But in some stories, the main character is sometimes called principal character. And the protagonists are both two central characters, but the protagonist drives the plot forward while the main character is impacted by the plot. So like in... Yes. An example that I found when I was working on a YouTube video is um, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Willy Wonka is the protagonist because, you know, he yes. organizes the whole uh, lottery contest for the tickets and everything. And, like, he makes things happen in that movie. But Charlie Bucket is the main character because he's the most impacted and he's who we follow. So one thing I love about George and what he does in this movie specifically the Jedi are the protagonists. We see everything through their point of view, and that's how we open up the movie, is with yeah. the point of view of Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan. But the main character is actually Padme. The war think? on Naboo is the central story of this um, episode. So I always found it interesting because... The main character is Padme. I never... Yes. Huh. I guess that kind of makes sense now that I think about it. Now, of course, there's a ton of, there's a ton of stuff going on in this movie. They're setting up a lot of different things. I love the way that it's told through the Jedi's point of view. And Anakin isn't even the main character. The main character is actually Padme and what's going on with the war on Naboo. Listen, I got the receipts, man. I, I, trans, you know, I, <laughs> I transcripted the whole, the whole commentary from George Lucas. This sequence ends with the Jedi trying to reach the Queen before the Separatists do. And this drives the plot along. And of course... We run into Jar Jar. Once they reach down, uh, they land on Naboo. We get to see the flora, uh, the fauna. He establishes new environments. He got to film on location in Italy for Naboo. And that's one thing George does in every Star Wars movie. Uh, he creates new environments, whether it's on location shooting or with um, miniatures or VFX. That's something that, you know, he really revolutionized with these movies was uh, the locations and just the scope. We get introduced to new species, uh, Jar Jar, for example. Uh, we actually get introduced to uh, the droids. And the droids were designed and created to be goofy, to be bad shots, to have no defense. And as we go on throughout the saga, the technology and the, um, the advancements of who the, the Jedi or the main character are, you know, who they're fighting gets better and better. So this is actually the lowest point for the opposition of the Jedi. Because think about it. They start out the movie fighting the droids who really they have no problems with. The only problems they have are the destroyers. 
they don't really run into a problem until they meet the Sith. So that's a cool that's a cool thing he establishes here is, you know, usually we see the hero as being weaker and the villain as being stronger. And that's how it was in the original trilogy. Now flip that, you got the Jedi being invincible and the um, droids and separatists being the ones that are scared of the Jedi. And that's just a cool visual you get to see that they establish in the first third of the movie. Like I said, they start in the middle of a story, and it's this blockade that's happening. We don't know how it started on Naboo. All we know is that the Jedi showed up. We're seeing it through their eyes. So they go to um, meet the queen. They What, they find her, right? And help me out here. They find her. They get in her ship, which is the the silver ship, the Naboo one. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And they leave the planet. This is where we're introduced to one of the most important characters in all of Star Wars. This is where they introduce R2-D2. I have a lot to say about him and all of this, but what do you think so far, you know, meeting the Gungans, Um, going to the capital, being introduced to R2? This is all in the first third of the movie. So what do you think about the Gungans? Some people, I've heard it pronounced Gungans, but then they themselves say Gungans. Gungans. So... Which one is it? Like, is there like a established? I say Gungan, but I like their city. Like, I like it. You know, like it looks cool. Underwater city of these, like, I guess what they're like frogs, right? Like amphibian, anthropomorph, amphibious creatures. Boss Nass is a lot of fun. He's cool. He's a memorable, you know, fun character. I, I mean, I know it's a cliche for anyone saying anything negative about the prequels, but. I don't like Jar Jar. I like he he's probably like one of the few characters here's a spicy take number one. He's one of the few characters in this movie that actually has an established personality. Boom, there it is. Um okay. but like they I've I think George went overboard on him. Like he's too ridiculous. He's too like he's annoying. Like he I get like, you know, like Return of the Jedi had the Ewoks. This movie has Jar Jar. I get it. You know, you want to appeal to kids, but like, he's almost too much of a caricature in that respect. Um, and you know, it really sucks that people bullied Ahmed Best so, so much that he actually considered suicide at one point because of the backlash to him in this movie. You know, and like, he's not the problem with this movie. Like. He did what he had to do, and he's a great performer, you know? You could tell he's a great performer, you know? He brought so much life to Jar Jar. I just don't like the writing of the character, but, you know, it's nothing to do with him in any way. It's just been always one of those things, like, whenever I watch this movie and we meet Jar Jar, I'm like, here we go, okay, all right. (laughs) It's over the top. It's a lot to to sit through. (laughs) And I hate the way he speaks. Why does he speak in pig Latin? Oh my God. He's, uh, he's over the top. I I agree with you. So the, um, the Gungan city's cool. I agree. I like, I like the way he has that set up and the, you know, they serve a purpose, which I like the way that the people and just the, you know, the, the Gungans are, are wrote into the story, um, cause they serve a purpose. I'll say this. Here's a, little preview for our return of the jedi episode 
the Gungans are incorporated into the the resolution of Phantom Menace way better than the freaking Ewoks I incorporated into that movie. I agree. I think I think Jar Jar was a little over the top, but the overall the Gungans, like you said, um, they're good. They're good. So I think uh, I think we should establish that that we like the Gungans. I would hang out with them if they invited me. <laughs> I get to be underwater. I freaking love water. Are you kidding me? I get to fly in a bongo. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have more to say about them later. So they get to Theed, which is the capital. They get the queen and they leave. And we're introduced to R2. What do you think about R2? I mean, he's always been one of the best characters. Like, it's it's so crazy. Like, it's a testament to, I guess, I mean, mainly George, but, like, also, like, the, you know, like, the people creating the practical effects for Jar Jar and how he's framed and everything. But he's a droid. But yeah, throughout all the movies, he has a lot of personality. Yes. Like, yeah. he's, like, sassy, you know, him and C-3PO banter all the time. Like, he, it's so crazy. Like, he, he screams like a human, which is funny, and I love that they never explain why that is. I just love it. It's just it. a like, thing. It's, it's just a really fun thing. Um, I do find it weird that, like, because in the original trilogy, when Luke meets uh, C-3PO and and R2, when C-3PO introduces R2, Luke, like, he's, like, sarcastically, like, hello. Like, you know, like he's, like, I gotta introduce myself to this droid. That's stupid. Like, a droid's just a tool. But then, in this movie, R2's seen as, like, a hero because he helps repair the ship. And then Queen Amidala is, like, oh, clean off this droid where we, oh, we owe it our gratitude. And it's, like okay like people respect droids that's interesting i mean it's not necessarily bad but it's just like yeah you know it's a you know i think like and like it's like a small detail that's never explained really it's just like you know like why does queen amidala have such a high opinion of droids i don't know but it's fun yeah and it's just a way to introduce r2 and he's always been a hero throughout the entire series every movie he's in he's seen oh, as yeah. a, a hero so his introduction in this movie is no different at all it establishes him as a hero figure so uh that's one character that's you know he establishes so the ship gets damaged um and they have to land make an emergency landing on a planet called tatooine and one thing i thought was very interesting about the phantom menace compared to a new hope is they land in Moss Espa. They don't land in Moss Eisley. So right there, you get another. You get a sense of just how big this world is. I never. They land, I didn't know that that was a separate place. Actually, yes. I just assume because like it, it's just like framed and everything. Like in a yeah. New Hope, when they get to Moss Eisley, so I was just like, oh, it's probably essentially that. Just you know, back then, but it was that a, was a different place. That's cool. Yeah, and another cool fact about that is uh, the reason it's a different place is because George didn't have the tech to make Moss Eisley look like how he wanted. So Moss Espa is actually originally how he envisioned Moss Eisley to look. Oh. Very interesting. 
Well, that makes sense with uh, what he did in the special editions. You know, uh, yeah, the with the um, trilogy. Yeah, I mean, as much Jabba. as I have problems with a lot of those changes, it now that I'm now that you bring that up, it makes sense why he, you know, changed how it looked and made it look like where they are in Phantom Menace. It's because it was supposed to be that. I knew I would change your mind. Um, <laughs> Not exactly, but I see what he was doing. Yeah. Now. Yeah, there's um, you know, the Phantom Menace. It is underappreciated i'm not gonna say it's underrated or overrated i think it's underrated but i could see how it's probably someone's least favorite i still have a soft spot for it at the end of the day yeah i i have so much nostalgia for this movie and i guess i could talk about that real quick i mean i was pretty much born when this came out and i grew up with it and you see a lot of merchandise from episode one you don't even see as much merchandise from episode two or I would even argue episode three. I think I don't know why, but I always see merchandise. I mean, for episode one, I was, you know, a kid. I was like twelve when Revenge of the Sith came out, and I saw plenty of merchandise. But I mean, t- to be fair, yeah. I, I, I'm pretty. I did see Phantom Menace when I was a kid. At some point, I don't know how long it had been out, but I didn't remember. I there were like a. F- few scenes that i remembered so i don't know i didn't like pay attention to like you know the action figures and stuff but i, I had every toy some things oh wow i had Watto. i had saboba had everybody i had a Loved lunchbox it. with uh oh anakin i think it was yes anakin riding a speeder yes yes when in elementary school <laughs> Yeah, and and that's what I'm saying. This this movie, I think a lot of people have a lot of nostalgia for it because of how it was, you know, so big in, in pop culture like that with merchandise and and everything else. Um, the movie was huge. So they land in Mosespa. Uh, I mentioned Watto. We meet Watto, and he introduces us to Anakin. How do you make a backstory for the most infamous villain in the history of cinema? You know what I mean? That's a big task. Yeah. You expect, you know, Vader. You know, you don't you don't know who Anakin is. Only glimpse of Anakin you get is at the end of Return of the Jedi. But you have no idea what led, you know, whoever Anakin was to become Vader at this point. So what are you expecting the backstory of Vader to be? You might you might not be expecting him to be how George envisioned him and George, you know, wanted him to be earnest, to be honest, to be good nature and to be the opposite of everything that Vader was. So that he could raise the question after you watch the Phantom Menace, what could possibly happen for him to become Vader at this point? I know we have some problems with um, the acting for Anakin in this. I don't. <laughs> I have problems I have, with the writing, not the acting. I I have problems with... Okay, so we, we differ on that. I don't have problems with the writing at all. I have problems with the acting. Not mm-hmm. saying he was bad, 
But yeah. there is a documentary on YouTube. I forget yeah. what the title is. You saw it. Yeah, I, that I shared it with you. One kid that even looks like Mark Hamill, dude. I'm like, I, yo, what the hell? He would have been perfect. I didn't like Jake Lloyd that much. Even growing up, I was, I was like, yeah, whatever. I, I liked yeah, him better I, in Jingle All the Way, personally. <laughs> but uh, what, what's your, um, you know, talk to me about Anakin. Okay, where you did you want me to start with my praise, my my quote unquote praise of the performance, or my problem with the writing? Well, what do you think about the introduction and the writing around his introduction? And then just tell me about how you feel about the character, the writing overall. Okay, so we see Anakin; he's a he's Watto's slave. Yes, that's a like, big aspect. He, what do you think about that? He has him working, you know, in his shop. I mean, I, I mean, in A New Hope, Obi-Wan says that Anakin was the best star pilot in the galaxy. And so, like, it makes sense that he would be somebody who was a technician, you know, a mechanic. Like, he would work with, you know, various kind of machines. And I, I really like the, the scene where he's talking to Padme for the first time. Just, I actually unironically love that scene but when she says like you really know a lot or something like, or no and she's like how do you know so much yes you know and then he's like oh you know i hear people talk you know like the pilots and stuff talk i was like yeah that's, anakin that's awesome. would have been a kid yeah. who listened to like pilots talk about stuff and you know like learn things you know like on the street you know, just like being in certain environments. So I think that that's a great detail. And I actually really like that. Actually, let's just stay on his introduction before we get into his overall character. Because there's a lot going on um, in this Mas Espa, you know, uh, portion of the movie. The whole, pretty much the whole second act of the movie. So we'll get back. To, we'll definitely get back to Anakin. But we're introduced to somebody else. And that person is uh, C-3PO. I hate, I hate this. I'm just going to say I hate this. I – yeah. <laughs> so Vader isn't only Luke and Leia's father, but now he's 3PO's. <laughs> and that was the point of um, making uh, 3PO being created by Anakin in this. Terrible. What, what do you, what's your issue with it? I – because it's like – I'm indifferent. It's, it's so contrived. Like he, like I don't know why. See, this is my biggest problem with the prequels: is that in the original trilogy, Anakin was just a guy who was part of this larger story and just had a tragic backstory. He knew Obi Wan, so he had a connection to Obi Wan. You know, he was his friend. He fell to the dark side. You know, but then George took that and was like, "Hey, what if he was literal Jesus?" If Jesus fell to the dark side, like he made himself central to the entire story. And he has to do this thing throughout all the movies where he's like, hey, do you remember this thing from the original trilogy that had a really mundane origin yeah. or no origin at all? What if it was really important? And I don't understand why he did that. And also, why would Anakin make an etiquette and protocol droid to help his mom around the house? Yes. Instead, he should have created... A droid like r2d2 or maybe just have him create r2d2 Why so not? fun fact i mean if you're gonna have him make a droid have him make the droid who makes sense 
he debated, <laughs> and he as in George debated on who should be the droid that Anakin created, R2 or 3PO, and the, pretty much the only reason it was 3PO is because he liked R2-D2 more, so he wanted him to get the hero moment uh, like he okay. had in the original trilogy. I mean, so he just pretty much sure. left 3PO, you know, with Anakin. I don't, I'm indifferent, but I get what you mean. I mean, it's just such a weird thing, like, yeah, uh, well, like, like, like he, you know, he was working on a droid. Oh, and it's this character, you know, it's like, I just wish there were more things in the prequels that didn't give like some grand reveal to just a thing that we saw before. Or, like, his design. I loved his design though. Yeah. No shell. It was a pretty good practical, yeah. you know, practical effect too. All the wires. Ani. Sorry. Wato Wado is amazing and you I like brought Watto. up Yeah, you brought up a crucial, you know, aspect character. of of his character in this which is he's a slave. Um him specifically him and his mother. The Jedi come and what happens? He meets Qui-Gon and he sees Qui-Gon's lightsaber. He's heard stories of the Jedi. He wants the Jedi to save him and his mother. Dude, I love that line where he's like, I had a dream that I was a Jedi and I came here and freed all the so slaves. Good. And it's like, when you look at what his what the trajectory of his story is, yes, that's kind of what he was trying to do, is free all the slaves. See, and the slaves, quote unquote. Yes, and we, slaves we, to we the agree. Republic. You know, the slaves to the Republic, not like all, you know, like not just like, literal slaves but people who were slaves to you know a system or an ideology I'm and then this. his redemption is him not being a slave he was born a slave basically but he didn't die a slave but even when he left Tatooine he was still a slave slave yeah. to the Jedi slave to the dark side until his son so he was a slave. He saw Qui-Gon's lightsaber. He knew about the Jedi. He wanted the Jedi to save him and his mother. So there's this plot device where they were stuck. Their ship broke down. They needed parts. So what they were going to do is they were going to have this kid who they could sense there was something different about him. So what they do is there's a sandstorm, you know, whatever. They, they get trapped there, and there's this really long scene of them just eating dinner and talking. So we agree that the dialogue in the Star Wars movies, it's not the best. In the prequel, well, in the original trilogy, it's realistic but cheesy. In the prequels, everybody feels like a AI program, and it's so, really weird. Yeah, so George did, does not, doesn't like to, expli to um, explain things, to tell. He likes to show. So this is one of the only scenes in the movie where you have this exposition that really does explain some uh, critical things to the story and what George calls this specific scene right here is the pointer scene and it is an explanation of what needs to happen and these scenes are either really boring or really hard to pull off but they're absolutely essential in telling the story and they usually come about this uh, this point you know in the movie this is where we get the introduction of midichlorians Wait, are we going to talk about Jake? We didn't talk about Jake. I just feel like... We'll, we'll get there. Okay, okay. 
I want to explain a little bit more about um, Anakin's uh, character in this because we haven't talked oh, about yeah. the inclusion of midichlorians. I'm curious to see what you think about this because I kind of don't have a set opinion okay. necessarily. So do you want me to just keep going? I was going to uh, hand it over to you. Oh, uh, yeah. So um, Anakin and uh, Qui-Gon are talking. Um, and he takes some of his blood. Uh, I don't remember like what excuse he gave, but if some dude that I just met wanted to take some of my blood, I'd probably kill him. To be honest, I um, think yeah, I think it was just from like you said the conversation he had with Padme and all of his knowledge and saying that he was a pod racer yeah. and that he is the best. You know, they 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 could sense something was different about him. Um, so. But yeah, he and then um he radios Obi Wan who's on the ship, which. I think is one of the biggest problems of the movie is Obi-Wan stuck on the damn ship for a long time, but that's another tangent. Um, And then he's like, Hey, I'm sending you a blood sample. Can you analyze it? And then Obi-Wan's like, wow, his metachlorian counts are really high, even more than master Yoda. And then Qui-Gon's just uh, like shocked by that. And then Anakin asks him what metachlorians are. And then he's like, yeah, basically metachlorians are these microscopic organisms that live in your blood or whatever. And they can hear the force talk to them directly. And then they, they're essentially like a bridge between the force and people. And a lot of fans hated this because in the original trilogy, the force was just like, you know, this purely spiritual thing. Like if you believe in it, you could tap into it and that's it. And now it's like this like weird science stuff, but Ultimately, I think I like it more than I don't because it reminds me of like, you know, other r religions, for example, like Christianity, like there are some, you know, sects of Christianity that have like a really fundamental literal view of like certain biblical things and certain spiritual things. And then, you know, like they're like ultra spiritual about stuff like, you know, like they don't really trust like the like medicine or you know doctors or anything because they're like oh you know i can you know like my faith is more than enough to you know find healing and all that and then there are some sects of christianity that are more practical minded you know like they're very you know like they don't think that the earth is like just thousands of years old they believe in things like evolution and things like that but they still have you know a spiritual belief in you know god and jesus or whatever so I interpret this as like maybe Qui-Gon, like maybe like certain Jedis have a view of the force that involves Metachlorians, but maybe Obi-Wan and Yoda never like quite bought into it. And then that's why they t teach it as more of like a pure spiritual thing. So like it, okay. it was one of those things that like really made me wonder more things about the universe. Interesting. You're making me dive deep here off the top of my head, but George Lucas um, has obviously a lot of influences from the Buddhist religion as well as the Christian religion. He was uh, practicing Buddhism at the time, and I believe his wife at the time was practicing – well, she was Pentecostal, I believe. I think I've, I might have heard that. So that's where you get all the spiritual aspects from this uh, – from. 
Now, what you're saying about midichlorians, I believe it's revisionist history that the force in the original trilogy was all spiritual. It was, but it actually wasn't. I'm going to give you. I mean, you there was some... that line where, sorry to cut you off, but like, okay. there's a, like, Luke says when he's talking to Leia in Return of the Jedi, he says, the force is strong in my family, which I don't think you could interpret that in a pure spiritual sense because then then be like, yeah, you know, my family lineage just happened to, you know, be really strong believers in this metaphysical thing. Like, that doesn't, I mean, that makes sense. You know, you know, because like some Christians come from a long line of Christians, but you can also interpret it as he's like talking about it's literally strong in my family, like in a scientific sense. See, that's what he was saying. I think it's that's what I'm saying. I think it's revisionist history going back and saying that it's all spiritual. Here's here's what I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you quotes directly from George Lucas. Ready? The midichlorians existed from the beginning, so before episode four. Uh, like we stated, the outlines for the prequels were done from the beginning. George started on episode four because of, one, lack of technology to show the Clone Wars, etc. And he likes to start in the middle of the story anyways. All right, so, midichlorians, they're meant to be cryptic, but their job is to be a physiological device used, and then here's going to be my quote, some paraphrasing George Lucas. They're used to be sensitive to the Force. Why some people are more susceptible to the Force than others, which is an issue from the first film. Some people have it strong, then it's not as strong with other people. What is the device that causes that to happen? The idea of a symbiotic relationship, which is a theme in the whole movie. People helping people. That there might be a completely different race of life, of life form that lives inside your body, completely independent of you, that has some influence over you. I kind of think that it still has a, excuse me, has a strong spiritual undertone, even with the Metachlorians, because it, it just made me think of like, because, you know, like if you're like, there's like what they call new age spiritualism, that it's more about like, you know, like God isn't like up in the sky somewhere outside of you, like, you know, like, you know, like we're all created in the image of God. So God lives within one of, within every one of us. We just have to learn how to like tap into ourselves and, you know, get in touch with that part of ourselves. So you could look, because like Luke, you know, now we know because of this movie, he was, you know, had a high, had a chlorine count, but he still fails time and time again. Why? Because he wasn't totally in tune with himself. So, if you have the capacity to be strong with the force, but you're not in tune with yourself, then you can't really tap into the metachlorian. So it's like, it still really doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Whereas if you have a small count of metachlorians, but you're in tune with yourself, you'd be strong with the force. Cause it's not just about that. It's also about your, you know, your state of mind and stuff. So remember that because I'm going to bring that up during duel of the fates. When we talk about it at the end, this is the distinction between Qui-Gon and the Jedi. You're thinking in terms of the Jedi Council. Because what does tapping into the midichlorians even mean? Did Luke fail because he wasn't tapping into the midichlorians? Or was he tapped into the midichlorians, therefore 
he was supposed to fail. We'll get to it. Hmm. So it's um it's interesting. So that was what George had to say about the midichlorians. I like the midichlorians. I like how much they just don't bring it up though. It's okay, it's a thing, but it it doesn't matter. Like nowhere in the movies do they talk about Obi-Wan's midichlorian count. Yeah, like, and I think that's it, fine. They could have had that like really stupid like you know chosen one fate thing where it's like you know like oh yes i beat you because my midichlorian like they bring it up once in this movie and then never again so it's like you know like it doesn't affect the other movies that much what do you think about it so growing up even when i you know like i said even when i was little watching this i always attributed midichlorians to almost this bygone era within star wars because of episode one taking place in the time it does before the clone wars the culture of the jedi it just seemed like they were behind the times like they got extremely caught off guard when the sith came back or when the droid army uh, got revealed to them at the beginning of the movie. They didn't have a clone army ready. The clone army was created actually by Palpatine. So they, from so what I'm saying is like they're following this type of you know aspects or you know of the Force, which is midichlorians, that is kind of from an era where it you know it doesn't have that much significance in reality. What was more important was the prophecy. It wasn't the physiological aspect of the individual. It was more so the prop, the prophecy of Anakin, you're the chosen one, which I think we have a good understanding of what that means. And we're going to have the chosen one discussion in another episode. But yeah, I, I mean, George talked about his plan for later movies and he said that uh, it would be revealed that Leia would be the chosen one. So that right there kind of makes me wonder either George has kind of lost his mind or the chosen one is purely based on circumstance and it's not like a set binary thing. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I kind of like the idea with Ray, like I, we could talk about this when we get to those movies, but I kind of like the idea that the force chooses whoever it has to in whatever time you know so it's like okay yeah. th- this person was the chosen one but they failed so now we're gonna pick let's see let's see i'm gonna choose that person now i think that's the only logical explanation for it and that's logical because i think that's what george was going to do yeah but we never got it i like the idea of it this being a finite story i like that it starts with one ends with six and there's only one chosen one in the history, you know, of time, and we are watching the most seminal moment in in the course of, you know, the history. You know what I mean? I like that this is that significant. And wait, were Luke and Leia technically twins? Yes. Well, then, what if? Because you know, like twins are kind of one person in a way. Like you know, like I see. What you, I know what you mean. Egg, I know what you so mean. yeah, what if like? I think no. that's the explanation for why Leia, you know, really Wait, is. Wait, no, I'm thinking, no, I'm thinking, because 
Leia is his daughter. Do- so I wonder if like being the child of the chosen one, but then Luke wasn't the chosen one. So then why? It's weird that he would be like, oh yeah, Leia was the chosen one. Like Luke was the catalyst. Anakin was the chosen one. What are you talking about? So how's Leia oh, I now? Like- oh, I can't wait to talk about episode three and six specifically, especially six return of the Jedi is one of my favorite movies ever. Um, Luke was the catalyst for his father to turn not back to the light, but to bring balance to the force. Yeah. So, um, but yes, Luke and Leia are twins. Leia was force sensitive. She could act, she could sense Luke at the end of empire. Yeah. All that. So you're on to something there. So moving on from this uh, midichlorian section, we talked about how they're stranded in Mos Espa. They need parts for their ship to fix it. How they're going to do that is the pod race. They're going to have Anakin win it, and Qui-Gon's going to bet on him. And when they win, they're going to get the parts and be back into their journey. So I love that, uh, you know, like, we talk about Qui-Gon's, like, grave-ish moral compass. Like, yes. he's not necessarily, like, a straight-laced hero. Like, he does what he have to do. What he has to do, I mean. And when Watto rolls the dice, Qui-Gon subtly manipulates it to get the outcome that he wants. And, like, I just, like, just that right there makes me wonder, like, I wonder if, you know, like, imagine him, like, when he was younger and, like, he was in battle and stuff training. Like, I wonder if he got to where he is partially because he was willing to cheat. You know what I mean? But in his eyes, it was justified. Like, that makes me wonder a whole lot about Qui-Gon that I think is really cool, personally. I agree. I can't think of anything off the top of my head from uh, the EU, but, uh, that you know, Qui-Gon, he, he's one of my favorites ever. I mean, I, everybody loves Qui-Gon, and it's because of that, that, mis- that mystery to him, but also that I'm not just going to follow the dogmatic views i'm gonna follow the living force which is something that um he would have taught anakin but i think qui-gon was a pioneer in a lot of ways like for you know like i think like if he wouldn't have died he probably would have started you know like a new movement of jedi kind of maybe like a little rebellious like in a way qui-gon's like jesus yeah, you know, like he shows up, and you know, all the like, you know, straight laced religious people don't really like him that much. And he's like, "I'm gonna do my thing, man. What? What are you gonna do? Like, you know?" So we'll get to that at the end because he, um, the the thread of that um, gray area not gray jedi but the gray area within the uh the jedi order it's not only with qui-gon it's with somebody else too that we see in the next movie so like you said he manipulates the dice so he um he manipulates the dice but we got to talk about the uh pod race we got to talk about pod racing what do you think about pod racing? Is it isn't it the it's it better be the coolest thing you've ever seen in your life, or you're getting kicked out the call? No, no, the idea. I think pod racing sucks. No, um, no, <laughs> I think pod racing as a concept is really cool. 
you know, really fun. I mean, they've made plenty of spin-off pod racing games because Star Wars pod racing cool. Yeah. Um, there was one in the arcade that I was always bad at because, like, the steering's a little weird. But um, but the pod racing sequence in this movie, it's not bad, but it's a lot of, like, every shot, like, pans from left to right. You know, like, it's kind of presented in this... It's not necessarily boring, but it also... I feel like it should be, like... Have you ever seen Speed Racer? The yes. movie? Yeah. I kind of wish that the pod racing scene had the energy of the races in that movie a little bit. Um, but, I mean, it's cool, like, the sand people show up and, like, start, like, trying to snipe people. And it's like, why would they do that? Well, because they're assholes and they just like to start trouble. You know, like, it's, you know, like, it's kind of this, like... And Saboba. Yes. Saboba's... Um, I have a thought about that includes him a little bit when we get to Anakin's character. But, um, yeah, it's like this, like, you know, like grungy thing that people place bets on. Like, it's cool. Like, it's basically the Star Wars equivalent of, like, underground racing. And that's the what George was going for. So the pod racing um, set was all miniatures because you can't have something this scale without either going extremely big or extremely small. So they chose to have a miniature uh, set, and then everything was CGI, uh, VFX. George said something like this would have been impossible in the original trilogy. Yeah. So, again, ILM, Industrial Light and Magic, absolutely revolutionized uh, VFX and, and CGI and filmmaking, which you know obviously led to the current day where movies are all green. But this was a, a portion of the movie that they used uh, heavy VFX in. And it took nine months to film this section. Wow. I can imagine. The original cut of this section was 40 <clears throat> minutes long. Wow. So they, of course, you know, for pacing purposes, shortened it. And this is what George says about this specific section is, it's the ultimate kid version of racing cars just because of the, the craziness of it, the chaotic nature of it. But also, um, you know, it's just a fun action sequence with awesome visual visuals. George loves speed. Uh, he loves racing cars. He wanted to make this reminiscent of his first movie, THX. Uh, and this is also, you know, in terms of the context of the story. We heard about Anakin having a high midichlorian count, but this is the first time we get a visual of why Anakin's special. And it's seen through the eyes of Qui-Gon. And he sees specifically Anakin's agility, his speed, all of his skills. And then also he can see things before they happen. So not only was this just an awesome sequence, and one thing I'll point out about it is the uh, the sound effects. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. There was no music until the very end. It was like quiet. And it just sounded like you know, insane cars. You know what I mean? Like engines yeah. and George loved that stuff. And I think the, the sound mixing and everything here, amazing. Especially for its time. Amazing. Um, thoughts on that? Because that's, that's all I got to say about the pod racing. I mean, yeah, like it's pretty, it is pretty, you know, like a, like a groundbreaking scene. 
for sure. Like like the pod racing helmet that Anakin has is like one of the most iconic, you know, things in a Star Wars movie. I mean, um, his speeder looks cool. One thing that I really love is that it's consistent throughout all the Star Wars movies. The look of the aliens is always on point. I agree. Like, I, like, I agree. It's like really cool. Like it would have been easy just to have the other people in this race be like species that we've basically seen before, but you know, they created yeah. brand new species that we've never seen just for this one section where they all, I guess they die. Right. I mean, when they wipe out, it's not very pretty. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So like, just for, for them to get smoked but like you know you see them like it's you know it's it's like a really cool like it's a really like it's a lot of you know, effort for a moment will, that really doesn't know, matter as, <laughs> say what you will about these movies i have my problems with them but you can't say that george didn't put any attention to detail and care yeah into them because just this scene shows that like he thinks about a lot of this stuff so the last thing I'll point out, um, I talked about, you know, the creating the backstory for literally the most infamous villain in the history of cinema, Vader. I don't, I don't even want to try to argue that he is, at least was at that point. So you're making the backstory for him. So it was important to give him a reason to leave, which was to escape slavery. Obviously, he wanted to take his mother with him, finds out that, you know, Qui-Gon, he can only take Anakin with him. He doesn't want to, but his mom encourages him to because his only chance at a future would be to follow the Jedi, Did to escape scene... slavery with oh, quotations. Um, are you going to talk about the scene where he leaves his mother? No, that scene makes me cry every freaking time. It's funny. It makes you cry because originally the, the, they filmed it and it was a lot more emotional and he had to dial back the emotion in it a lot to fit the tone of the saga because he oh, said wow. it was just too emotional. Which is funny because then we get to episode two, but yeah. Um, yeah like, so I think now we can talk about Anakin and you can give me your thoughts on it because him leaving his mother right here in this emotional scene you're talking about is critical to his development later on. You know what I mean? Yeah, dude. It's like, it's a tragic thing too. He's like, will I exactly. ever see you again? And then, and then she's like, what does your heart tell you? And then he's like, he isn't really sure what to say. He's like, I mean, I guess so. Cause I feel like, and he does see her again, yes. But it sucks, and that's not like how he a really sad bit. You know, that's a really sad. Thing. Okay, so where do you want me to start with that? Like, did you want me to talk about my praise for the the aspects I praise or the or, or the aspects I don't like? <laughs> uh, you can start with whichever ones you want, but I think right. I think um, you know, this specifically in the second act right here after we get through the pod racing. He pretty much just becomes a secondary character from this point on. Yeah. We only have maybe one significant conversation after this. Because um, it's funny, after this, he becomes a little bit more bumbling. But right here, he was, <laughs> um, you know, killing it with the pod racing. And then we had that, you know, where they tore him away from his mother and all of that. So, uh, okay, give me your well, thoughts I'll on Anakin. Yeah, I'll so, <coughs> excuse me. Um, okay, my... I don't really like the way Anakin's written in this trilogy. I feel like, because in, you know, like it's like 
him, I mean, it's partially because uh, Jake Lloyd unfortunately quit acting because of uh, fan backlash from a percentage of the population who don't deserve nice things at all. Um, I mean, he did a good job, but... Yeah, so, like, the portrayal's kind of inconsistent because he doesn't feel like the same character between Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. So, I think Anakin in this movie should have been a teenager. I agree. Because he's basically an older teenager to, like, young adult in Attack of the Clones. And, like, imagine... Dude, imagine because... His relationship with Padme in this movie is, like, kind of, at least to me, like, older brother, I mean, older sister, younger brother type of thing. But then they become romantic. And it's, like, imagine if he was a teen in this movie, they would have had, like, you know, like, cute, awkward banter together. Like, they would have been these shy people who, you know, didn't know how to talk to one another. Um, So, I think that's awkward because we know where it's going to go. I think yeah, if anything, was, they, it's just, yeah. I don't know why George chose to have him start out being this young and then have the next movie be him way older. That, that's, so that's weird. That's the only thing I want to add to it is because the only, the, the other significant conversation I'm talking about is whenever he's actually at the, um, in the Jedi council and they're talking about whether they're going to take him in or not, we'll get to that. We'll get there. But they, they wanted to keep him around this age where he's just out of range because if he's too old, then it's a definite no. Oh yeah, true. So he's just out of range. If I, th- I think if anything, they should have been younger. But... He could have just not had that rule to begin with, and that would have solved everything. But I get why it's there. Yeah, I agree All with right, you. The so, writing could have been better there. But in spite of my problems with like and like, also like I feel like he's too jovial. Like I think he should have like his Luke. You know, was yeah the the one that was really like rambunctious and headstrong. So, I imagine Anakin being you know like really shy and reserved, a quiet kid. Like, you know, like he's like he's that type of kid that would like stay in his room, you know, for like the entire day just creating things or reading or whatever. But you know, so it's like Jake Lloyd in this movie feels more like a young Luke Skywalker than a young Anakin, which is really. Sh- I get it, but it's also kind of weird. Um, okay, so I got to jump in here because okay. George says that exact same thing. And I have a quote here from him. Speaking of comparing Luke, young Luke, and young Anakin, just like you're doing, he says the two trilogies, he puts the characters, um, paraphrasing, the two trilogies, he puts the characters in the same situations, even using the same dialogue between young Anakin and young Luke so that they go through the same experiences even taking the same paths so that when they get to critical turning points, they take different paths and it subverts your expectations. George describes it as a musical idea. You play a musical refrain and you play it over and over and over again. But each time you might play it with different instruments or sounds, it's the same note, but every time you hear it, it sounds different. He describes it as visual jazz. You take it, you riff with it, that same idea and you just take that concept and you interpret it differently Hmm. so he wanted it to be a mirror except when you get to those critical uh turning points they uh take the different paths so the the start like you said they, they he feels like a young luke in this which he's supposed to and i think a lot of people have problems with that i mean i have a problem with it but i mean that's an interesting choice now that i think about it that way like 
you know, like, you know, like they walk the same path, but then it's like a split, you know, like one of them goes this way. The other one goes this way. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So my, but with that being said, I'm going to give my spicy take. It, it'd probably be spicy to a lot of the fandom because they made Let's go. Hot a takes. freaking poor kid quit acting, which was not cool. I think Jake Lloyd kind of kills it in this movie, actually. Like he has, you know, a lot of swagger, a lot of charisma. He's a great physical actor. Like I love that moment where everyone finds out that Padme is really the queen. And then he has this look like, what? Like he, he just plays things like that perfectly. He's a good dramatic actor. Like when he needs to be dramatic, he's really damn good. And I've noticed this when I rewatched this, like a few years ago, he has this, he has these moments where, like, when he's, like, mad or upset, he has this little glare in his eyes. Like, specifically when, uh, uh, when Jar Jar, uh, he, he tries to lick, like, a roasted animal at one of the, like, uh, at one <laughs> yeah. of the street vendors, and he somehow, like, I think it hits Sabalba or something, Sebulba, and then yeah. Sabalba tries to beat him up, and then, Anakin walks up to them and he says something to Sabalba that I assume is basically like leave him alone or something. And then like they're having this like, you know, like really brief standoff. But like for a second, Anakin has this look in his eyes. And I I saw this years ago and I'm like, that's Darth Vader. That's Darth Vader. Like I could imagine this kid growing up to be that guy in the original trilogy that's like, Oh, I told you to do this task and you <laughs> fail. I'm gonna kill you. Screw you. you. You're done. Bye. Like he has this like swagger that I, which is why I was saying to you before we started recording that I wish uh, we lived in the alternate universe where Jake Lloyd would have played Anakin throughout the whole trilogy because I feel like you know he would have grown into that badass that like. In this movie, you know, like people push him around and he kind of resists a little bit. And then in Attack of the Clones, he does a little, but like by the end, he doesn't take shit from anybody. And we see shades of that in this movie. And that's, I mean, obviously due to the directing to some extent, but also due to Jake Lloyd's performance. So I've, I've never had a problem with Jake Lloyd in this movie. I respect it. I think I don't think it's the uh, the acting I have an issue with. I think it's more so the directing uh, for him, because, like you said, I think we're all expecting Anakin, but in reality, he's uh, a younger Luke, which is, uh, you know, he kills it as. So I, I actually like what you say there. I think it's uh, I think it's accurate when you're taking into account the, um, you know, the nature of him at this point, yeah. being the optimist and uh, whatnot. So. We get a cool interaction after this because they're heading to the ship and out comes a Sith Lord. This is uh, Darth Maul. This is the first exchange in the series between a Jedi and a Sith. George said he kept it abstract. He wanted he wanted it to be a teaser for the ending. So it was short. He said he wanted it to be flashy. He wanted it to be lightsabers twirling and uh, dust kicking up and robes flying. It was real quick. Um, so what'd you think about it? Um, well, before this, I love uh, how they revealed 
how they revealed Darth Maul, like uh, Newt Gunray and the Trade Federation dudes were talking to Palpatine on the hologram oh, and he just shows thing. Up, yeah. And then he's like, something like, uh, like, we can't track the ship. And then he's like, it's no problem for a Sith. And then like, out steps Maul. Like, he just <laughs> appears and he's just, you know, just badass. And he doesn't say a lot in this movie, which I think is cool. Like, you know, he's, you know, the strong silent type. Um, I wish, I've heard some people say that it would have been cool if he was like Obi-Wan's like adversary for the entire trilogy. And I think that would have been really cool. You know, like Obi-Wan yeah. being driven by revenge for him murdering his master. But uh, I like this fight. Like it's brief, but I think it's pretty well choreographed. Even so, um, I like the, um, like, um, he's riding, he finds out where the ship is and then he's riding his speeder to where they are and Qui-Gon tells Anakin to drop to the floor. And I'm just like, man, if Anakin wouldn't be so strong with the force, he might've not dropped right at that second and he would have been toast. You know, that's like a small thing that is fun to look back on um yeah and that's, then, that's a nice visual yeah and then freaking qui-gon must have been wearing his uh era jordans because he jumps up to the ship <laughs> as it's flying and then maul it's weird that maul didn't like really try to follow him after that but he was probably when i watched that scene to me it seems like he's like trying to see how much of a threat qui-gon is and then he's like Oh, this guy's a worthy opponent. Okay, cool. This is going to be fun. Like, it's one of those moments of, like, it feels almost playful a little bit. Well, that's what I was going to say. I think um, I have it somewhere in here that uh, Palpatine, or, you know, the Emperor is the puppet master. Obviously, we know that. But I think he was using Maul as a a piece on the board to get Qui-Gon into a checkmate. Because he didn't didn't want Qui-Gon training... Um, or really uh, Qui-Gon or Obi-Wan training um, Anakin. He wanted to have uh, influence over Anakin, which he does. But yeah, like you're saying, he played with him. I think it was just, um, th- that was a checkmate move. You know what yeah, I mean? Um, that wasn't, gonna, that wasn't gonna, the end of the game. But yeah. that's a, a short interaction between um, the Jedi and the Sith. It's just meant to be a teaser. Um. It was cool. It was cool seeing that he only had one side of his blade lit up when he was fighting. He didn't even, you know, show the full thing. Thought that I was really even, cool. I actually didn't even really notice that, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, it's it because it was a big reveal in the movie. Like, you know, that shot where he pulls it down one side and then the other side. I mean, yeah. that was like mind blowing. <laughs> People fell in love with Maul over that. Obviously, his looks, but. Um, that there was that introduction of the Sith, and then we immediately we have um, really the last significant introduction of the movie, and this is the um, inevitable uh, duo. I don't know how I don't know even know how you would describe these two of Obi Wan and Anakin, and why this is significant is because Obi Wan is skeptical of. Anakin when they first meet they're not friends essentially he doesn't uh he doesn't really agree with what is his master's doing here so you kind of see that mentality of Yoda 
and the Jedi Council still in Obi-Wan in this point, but not in Qui-Gon. Qui-Gon wants to take the boy. So we'll talk about that more because we get uh, a little interaction here <clears throat> between uh, Padme and Anakin, where Padme comforts Anakin. This builds their relationship. Um, and this movie, from here on out, sets up Padme as a strong, independent character uh, like Leia was in the original trilogy. And it shows her going from, and this is what George said, from pacifist to when she starts becoming an activist to save her people. Um, and I think, you know, Padme is a great character. I'll have so much more to say about her in, in the second and third movie, especially the second movie. But thoughts on Obi-Wan, Anakin, and um, anything else in that scene? I mean, I, Anakin, I think one of the problems with this movie is that um, Anakin and Obi-Wan don't really even interact. Yeah. Which is weird, like, essentially, like, 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 like the second movie establishes, you know, the dynamic that they have in it. I mean, I guess it kind of does make sense, because, like. Obi-Wan has to train him as a wish to his dying master. Like, of course, That's he wasn't going to say no. And then, like, yes. in the second movie, Anakin's essentially being, like, the bratty son. Who, like, you know, isn't really respecting Obi-Wan that much and stuff. Like, they get along, but there's some friction. And I think you could attribute that to, like, Obi-Wan's essentially, like, that father who wasn't planning on, you know, being a dad. But then he's thrust into the situation he's like all right i mean i'll do my best whatever i don't know and then you know like in 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 some cases those people end up not being great parents but it's not necessarily their fault yes and to add to that what do they call each other in revenge of the sith he says you are my brother anakin you were my brother yeah so you're right. He does kind of have to fill in for that father role, but he he isn't that person. Yeah. That's why I said that was a checkmate move by the Emperor because who becomes that father figure in the background to Anakin? The Emperor. Old Palpy, yeah. Old Palps. <laughs> so speaking of Palps, they head to Coruscant. This is the first time we see Coruscant. And uh, obviously, they, he couldn't do it in the original trilogy because of the limited technology. But this planet was there from the very beginning because it's the capital planet of the Republic. And it's crucial to the entire story of um, Star Wars until J.J. blows it up in Episode 7. <laughs> and this is where you see the Emperor where you see the emperor take over. And this is where you see how a democracy turns into a dictatorship. Uh, super critical, you know aspect of star wars as a whole and i have a quick little take i don't know i've never seen anyone say this before but i think course course looks different in the phantom menace than it does in attack of the clones or return of the, uh revenge of the sith huh i don't know why it's just if you look at the visuals of course and the phantom menace i just love how it looks i always I'm thought gonna... that it looks so cool in the first movie i'm gonna pay attention to that and let yes. you know what i think uh, when I watch Attack of the Clones, because I've actually I've, never really thought of that. It it looks obviously lower like quality, but I kind of like that. It just it's also the lighting. I don't know. Coruscant evolves into more of this cyberpunk, like um, 
you know oh, yeah. thing metropolis type you know cyber obviously the whole the whole planet is a city but like i like how the uh visuals are in the phantom menace okay i have one quick question about course yes. how do you feel about the jedi this is like i saw a youtube comment like a long time ago saying something about this like how do you like because like they're headquarters is in like a big city as opposed to somewhere more remote like octu yeah which would fit yeah. like the whole like buddhist monk thing that they were kind of going for with them better so do you think like it was a strange choice for them to be in a city or here's here's my take i love i love talking about star wars man i love it i love it i absolutely love it because it shows how far off the Jedi Order is from how the Jedi are supposed to be. The Jedi are supposed to be like how Luke was in The Last Jedi. Hot take on Octu, like he was. I agree. Seeing, yes. <laughs> seeing the Jedi in that temple in the middle of the, you know, the city like that. And, and they're supposed to be keepers of the peace, but they turn into to generals and that whole situation isn't that how the jedi started though like i think i remember reading on a wiki like the jedi Mm. either the jedi or the sith like it started by like a bunch of people like finding a temple or establishing a temple in like kind of the middle of nowhere a little bit so we will get into this more because this is a giant tangent but Essentially, the Jedi are just supposed to follow the will of the Force, which is what Qui-Gon does. Um, They're not necessarily supposed to keep the peace. So, um, we'll get into that at some point. That's more so Clone Wars and Rebels territory. So... In my... This is my... This is what I think just based off of seeing the films... The Jedi, the Jedi Council, the Jedi Order, as it is in these movies, they're wrong, and that's why yeah. Anakin falls, essentially. So, what we see of them is not necessarily what is right. Like, they can be, he can be the, you know, the Jedi can be the protagonist, but they can also be in the wrong. Yeah, I think the Jedi are full of bad decisions and bad choices throughout the entire. Um, prequels which is why anakin falls you know people are like wow the jedi were wrong in the prequels i'm like yes that's the point that's the point that's why anakin uh you know fell because of you know that whole fallout of that which we'll get into with our five hour you know episode of um you know revenge of the sith review so we'll get into that but that's kind of what i think if that answers your question yeah no i think that's a fair opinion I can't wait to uh, talk cool. about the Last Jedi, man. Oh my god! I, I, I just Star wait. Wars in general. I love it. Like we we've been going for, you know, time right now, an hour and a half. I'm obviously going to edit it down, but like, bro, I love talking about this. So at this point in the story, they're on Coruscant because um, I obviously got to get back and inform them of what's going on, um, on Naboo with the invasion because they couldn't send a message. They get there and they have this kid with them who they think is the chosen one. So they take him to the council. So this is what George says. In theory, Anakin should have been brought in as a youngling and trained by Yoda until age seven or eight, then given to a Jedi as a Padawan 
Here we see Qui-Gon go against the council and insist that he skips that earlier development stage being trained by Yoda and become his Padawan immediately because Obi-Wan is ready to become a Jedi Knight at this point. But they leave Anakin in Qui-Gon's care as they head back to Naboo and they kind of table the discussion about him actually being uh, becoming a Padawan or not. So that's why Anakin is stuck with them um, as they go back to Naboo. So any thoughts on seeing the Jedi Order for the first time? Uh, we, see, uh, we see a few familiar faces there. Uh, Anything significant? Because it's just... Um, you mean like, you mean like when they're like taught, like when they first bring them to the council? Yeah, anything stick out yeah, to you? Um, I mean, that's... I... All right, so I... I have a take about the whole prophecy thing, but I feel like yes. it it seems uh, written in a way that it's kind of the point. Like, it's not an oversight by George. Like, it's, you know, something he purposely wanted to do. But I hate the idea of, like, Anakin retroactively being the center of this whole prophecy thing. Like, I feel like it's such a dumb retcon, in my opinion, because it's like it over emphasizes a character who wasn't he was important in the original trilogy but he wasn't like the most important character you know what i mean like i see what you mean okay piece in the puzzle but then on the other hand i kind of like i just really love characters that like have to bear the weight of other people's expectations and then like how they how they have to deal with that and how that affects them usually in a negative sense. I agree. So I kind of look at it as like maybe the prophecy thing, like it makes you wonder where the prophecy even came from. And my, I'm not sure like if there's any outside thing that establishes this, but my head canon, um, until you possibly shatter it, is that it's just <laughs> if I can, some I crap that they made up that has no, uh, that isn't supported by anything it's just a thing that like it's how like some you're talking about what you know, it was created for this episode no no like it's like 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 how like certain religious groups you know like they have like there's certain beliefs that they're not necessarily backed up by anything specific it's just a thing i don't know how to expect like like how like the Jedi Council is just like, yeah, a chosen one's going to come and bring balance. How do we know? We just know. We just have a feeling. Shut up. Are you going to question us? No, screw you. There's a prophecy. You know what I mean? Like it's not necessarily like it's like, 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 like maybe the force didn't even tell them about a prophecy, but it's just a thing that they want to believe in and that they've been like spreading and teaching people about and telling people about and then they're like and then like you know like i even see what qui-gon isn't part of the council but even he thinks that's a thing so they're like mace windu's like are you referring to the one that'll bring balance and then he's like uh, you you think it's this boy and then and then and then qui-gon's like yeah like so i just kind of wonder if that's just a thing that they want to believe in and yeah even like even like Qui-Gon, you know, is kind of the opposite of a lot of the people on the Jedi Council, but even he even wasn't he believes it. immune to projecting things onto a kid who has no idea what's going on and you know what I mean? 
And I think that you might have to dive deep into the EU to find that. I'm not sure, and I don't, I don't remember off the top of my head George talking about that specifically. All I know is that it is a finite thing in that, you know, showing that even Qui-Gon believes it, I would just take it as that, that he is the chosen one. I see what you mean, but I like to believe he's a chosen one. Yeah, like, I think the the implementation just, of that, because they don't mention that in the original trilogy, but I think yeah. they, they put it in this because how are you going to explain how Anakin become, became as um, prominent as he did, you know, so fast? You know what I mean? Um, because think about how long it, it it took for Yoda or all these other Jedi to even become that prominent. But you need, you know, you need that kind of push to get him to that point. And I like the prophecy idea because obviously, um, the Jedi order is like a religion. So you know, yeah. I think that fits the. I mean, um, it's a fascinating theme. thing to think about when you look at the end of Return of the Jedi and how uh, yeah. he ends up killing palpatine it's like was that because he was fulfilling his role as the chosen one or did he do that just because he like was able to tap into his feelings as a dad and he just wanted to protect this kid you know like i don't think it ultimately like it doesn't matter necessarily like he still did it who cares if it's some like grand spiritual thing or if it was just a human choice like yeah it still happened I, I agree, and I think um, I think that's all it is, really. I don't I mean I don't know if I find more information as we go through these episodes, I'll bring it up. But um, as of right now, I like it. So they throw them uh, in with Obi Wan and Qui Gon, and basically they're like, "Okay, you guys go back where you came from and figure it out." So they get back to Naboo and they land, and we meet the Gungans again. And one interesting thing I'll point out is Padme really comes into her own right here because she reveals herself to the Gungan people as the actual queen. And she, you know, well, let's just say the Gungans, you know, they felt abandoned. They felt like the government and Padme would let them be taken over by the separatists. So they had that animosity towards her and she changes their mind. Um, you know, the Jedi don't do it for her with tricks. She steps up and, you know, I think, her character is great in the in the prequel trilogy. Yeah. So Padme reminds them that the sentiment of, you know, ecological symbiosis, you know, in short, they need each other to survive. And like George puts it, if one part of the circle is broken, the whole circle suffers right here. So they use this in the final act um, to set up the Battle of Theed. That's the capital of Naboo. So right here we can get into the last act. I have a lot to say. I'm going to blow your mind and change. I'm going to change your mind and make this the top. I'm going to say top three in your top three. If you take out the sequels, I'll put it in. I'll make it in your top three. How about that? All right. I don't even think it's in my top three, but all right. <laughs> so we get, into the, mine, <laughs> we get into the third act. Um, and one thing that George po pointed out, the differences between um, you know, the Gungans, they use this plasma-based technology. They're very organic uh, people with organic uh, weapons, and he calls it the electric ill tech. It's pretty cool. You know, contrast that against the droids who are all mechanical. This creates a very interesting visual for the battle. And it's, a, as he says, uh, quote, a battle between biology and physics. 
And that's just getting into the mind of George and why he's the greatest. Um, what do you think about that? We'll talk a little bit, you know, just let me know your thoughts on the Gungans fighting the droids and all that, because from here on out, we're talking <laughs> Duel of the Fates. All right, well, I like uh, that their tech is like, you know, like, I didn't even really think about like the contrast between, you know, like mechanical yeah. versus more like stuff in nature. Um, okay. So have you seen, it's like part of this, like uh documentary that you could find on YouTube. It was like when George and the producers like, like, like saw the final cut of Phantom Menace. And then it's that famous quote by George. He's like, I may have gone too far in a few places. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, Rick McCallum. <laughs> yes. Who's the other producer. He's like, in the span of about 90 seconds, we bounce from, you know, the Padme and them in this battle. And then like slightly comedic with Jar Jar. And then the, the battle with the Darth Maul where Qui-Gon. So even George and everybody acknowledged the tonal problems in this. And in my opinion, I like the idea of the Gungans and the droids, but this is probably where Jar Jar is at his most insufferable. Like, it's this big battle, and you think, okay, Jar Jar is going to finally, you know, have this moment where he totally gets serious and he proves that he's, you know, kind of capable and helps him win the battle. Nope. Nope. Everything he does is by accident. He, he, he is useless. He should have died. I don't know how he survived. Everybody has to bear the weight of his stupidity. And I, it's just like, bro, like, why are you even here? Like, if I was like one of the Gungans, I would have pulled Jar Jar aside and been like, dude, either stop being an idiot and help out or I'm going to kill you myself. Like, you're, he, he just ruins the flow of this because it's like, you know, like this big dramatic thing. But we still got Jar Jar being a bumbling doofus. Like, it's... I don't like it. I just don't like it. <laughs> I agree. So, he splits the finale, uh, this this last act, up into three parts. And you're talking... Uh, you know, we're talking about the, the Gungan battle. So, you have the capital attack um, in the Gungans. So, the Gungans made a distraction for Padme and her team to t- retake the capital. You know, this was just to advance uh, the story of Padme, who's the main character. And to resolve the battle of Naboo. You also have the space battle. And this is where, um, you know, you get some action with Anakin. It's not very significant. And one thing that George points out. (laughs) Yeah, I I do too. And basically George just says that Anakin and Jar Jar play the same note. They're both bumbling into the action, but it ends up being what helps uh, turn the tide and gets them their success. And it keeps the comedy going, um, you know, because you need that. I want to say my piece real quick about the Anakin stuff. Yeah. I've heard George say that, oh, in A New Hope, Luke blows up the Death Star, and in this, Anakin blows up the ship that controls the droids, which doesn't, because, like, I feel like shouldn't the droids operate independently, but they're all controlled by this, like, big ship that's... They are, and he talks about why, actually. Okay, why? (laughs) So, because of the the Nemoidians, that's the race that New Gunray is, they don't want to give up control to the droids okay and the reason he said i believe was should have wrote this down he doesn't want basically them to be um 
them to become sentient almost and and take over that the Nemoidians can't give up control. They have to have the control. Oh, okay. So that was the reasoning. Okay, well, Qui-Gon, as much praise as I give my boy Qui-Gon, for some reason in the third act, he turns into the biggest dumbass because he just has Anakin here. And he just brings him into a war zone. He's like, oh, you go sit in this cockpit and just chill. And it's like, bro, like, he's like walking with them when there's a shootout. And it's like, dude, he could have gotten shot. That's why why I say, like, he's the chosen one in the plot needs him yes. to stay alive like it's so stupid like i don't yeah. i don't get it. and then like he accidentally flies to the ship and wins the battle for him a kid like so how incompetent are these other people that if it wasn't for this kid accidentally doing this thing because you put him in danger the battle would have just kept going on and you might not have won. like it's it's too contrived it is, and it's so funny listening to George talk about it because you can even hear it in his voice that it's like, <laughs> okay, we did this because we had to. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> so that's why I said after pretty much the uh, pod racing thing, you don't really have anything significant from Anakin because this is all, you know, whatever. It's not that significant. Uh, you know, his I have it right here. His heroism is an accident. He didn't want to make uh, – George didn't want to make him perfect or just be able to accomplish all he did out of pure skill. So it's the foolishness and the comedy of the situation he found himself in coupled with his force abilities that led him to the success. And it was just – you know had to be included. So you know we'll wrap that up because you mentioned a little bit about Qui-Gon um, not being very smart, bringing him in there. And pretty much he tells him to run when Maul pops back out. One of the greatest uh, reveals of the movie. Drops his uh, cloak, pulls out his saber, and it lights on both sides. And it's a 2v1. I can get into, I'm going to get into a lot here. So tell me what you think of Duel of the Fates, this whole battle. I know you have thoughts on it. It's a great exchange between these characters. What do you think about the fates of them? Uh, What do you think? Let me know. Uh, I think it's awful garbage. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> now, so the adult in me, you know, the cinephile prefers the battles in the saga that are more grounded and more visceral, you know, and have more emotional stakes going on and like people playing mind games. But I don't care. Ever since I was a kid and even now, the kid in me loves... Uh, and even kind of prefers the flashy battles of the prequels, man. Just watching people flip around, do these insane stunts, playing. Embracing. I would like when I would play the Revenge of the Sith game with my friend. We would just like spend a lot of the versus battles just blocking because when you block. You know, you're like clashing sabers like they do in the prequels, like they do a lot of that. You know, like, it's a little, like, less like they're trying to hit each other and more like they're trying to hit the other person's lightsaber. I get, like, it's over-choreographed to an extent. But, bro, I don't care. Like, it's so fun to watch. Um, I like, you know, like, you see how much of a badass Darth Maul is because he's kind of, yeah. he doesn't Ray really Park seem to killed be- it. He doesn't really seem to be trying in this fight. Like, he's just, like, fighting them both off. You know, like, he kicks 
Obi-Wan to the side like three times. <laughs> he just keeps getting dwarfed. Um, you know, you could tell that he's just like, this isn't that big of a deal for me. You know, whatever. I got this. What? Oh, it's a two against one. You guys are going to, fl- oh, I don't care. Screw you. You know, like, it's just a really fun and like, it's great. It's one of the rare times in the prequels that George explicitly shows instead of telling. You know, like there's that moment that a lot of people talk about where uh, when uh, Qui-Gon and Maul get separated by the laser shield. And they just stare. Yeah, and then like... Love it. Qui-Gon starts meditating because, you know, he's like wise and, you know, he's calm, cool, and collected. Maul's just like pacing back and forth like a freaking shark that just like sees his prey and just wants to go after it and chomp it and then obi-wan's like anxious like you know like anxiously waiting for the shield to turn off so he could run through so like right there you see all three of their personalities and their temperaments not a line of dialogue spoken yes it's beautiful and um is there anything else you want to add I think that's very accurate what you just said. Um, I like that uh, that shot where uh, Maul, like, he opens up a door or something by, like, Using the force. throwing, uh, something, throwing with something with the force yeah. at a switch. Like, very, like, nonchalant. Like, he's fighting these two, you know, prime Jedis, and he's just, like, rip, like, it's just, like, a small thing that he does with, like, no effort. I just like that little uh touch (laughs) i do too i love it so like i said at the at the uh, beginning of the uh, episode george designed these movies to be silent films um they're space operas and he designed it to where you don't need the exposition you don't need the dialogue to understand what's going on and i think you just uh you know explain the perfect example of that of course you're going to need some exposition but i you know I think you um, kind of explained the the gravity of the situation and how it got conveyed through what we got to see on the screen, not just by them telling us it's a, you know important. Yeah. And I want to kind of elaborate on why I think this is one of the most. It's definitely top three. It might even be the second. It's definitely one of the um, most important turning points in the entire saga of star wars and this is you know duel of the fates it's the battle between the light and the dark so i have a lot here that um i got i got some from george i got some from you know uh star wars content creators and i even have a little bit of some of my own you know analysis i put in here and i'm gonna get into it are you ready for this yeah This battle was the flashpoint for the Galactic War, uh, for everything we see in the next, specifically the next two movies with Order 66, and obviously what that means for the entire saga. This is where it mattered most. Qui-Gon dying was the beginning of the end for Anakin's fall to the dark side. Qui-Gon was the only Jedi we know of that could have trained Anakin aside 
the ways of the Jedi, where he wouldn't have those same setbacks or dogmatic views that really turned him down uh, the path of the dark side that we see uh, play out in episode two and three. This battle was literally the duel of the fates, not to see who was the better swordsman between Obi-Wan or Maul, but the duel for the fate of the galaxy. So what happened during the fight, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan got separated. This had Obi-Wan watch helplessly as Qui-Gon and Maul fought. We know what happens. Maul stabs Qui-Gon. Qui-Gon dies. That was more significant than whether or not Maul lived or died or Obi-Wan lived or died. From the beginning of the movie, Qui-Gon was set up to um, be the, uh, the master of Anakin. Anakin was going to be his Padawan. Like I said, the Emperor strategically put Maul in place to put Qui-Gon in that checkmate. Maul knew his mission. He took out Qui-Gon. That led Obi-Wan to becoming his um, master, which wasn't the master that was going to keep him from turning. Because he saw him as a brother, and Palpatine was there in his ear. So, going back to the fight, Duel of the Fates fight. Obi-Wan falls over the edge, right? And Maul is standing on top of him. And from what George described is he wanted to copy the Luke and Vader fight from Empire, where Luke was below Vader. Mm. But the twist here, says George, is the Sith, um, instead of the Sith cutting off the hand of the Jedi, it's the Jedi who cuts the Sith in half. thought that was a cool uh, visual there, how he took that and turned it and twisted it. So now Obi-Wan has to take over the training of Anakin, which, like I said, is the beginning of the end. So... This was the literally the why do you think they call it duel um, of the fates? This this fight right here holds so much um, you know importance in the realm of the Star Wars universe. And something I thought of is it's called duel of the fates, like a duel, like a sword, you know, sword fight, a duel. But it's also you want to talk about. Um, double meanings it's it's a homonym for duel as in two yeah so wow. you could say that it is literally um a dual fate outcome you know depending on what happens here let's say uh qui-gon lived he might have been able to train anakin and like i said aside the ways of the jedi to where he could have that attachment and he wouldn't have to hide padme he wouldn't have those same setbacks. Maybe if Qui-Gon was there, he would have went to save his mother sooner, would have went to free his mother sooner. You never know in this uh, in situations like this. It's a fun what if, but we know that uh, Qui-Gon didn't have the same views as Yoda or the Jedi Council. And last thing I'll say is we talked a little bit about midichlorians and then the Force at large. What really is the will of the Force? Qui-Gon was meditating before he went even fought Maul. Maybe the will of the Force was for Qui-Gon to die and for Anakin to turn like he did because who knows? The Emperor might have taken over without Vader and they might not have been able to stop 
the emperor. Essentially, what what we see is actually the will of the force playing out. So I think Qui-Gon, when he was meditating, knew that he was supposed to die. I mean, he does That's why, like... Yeah. After he, does, he says... He like, get killed in this really, like, weird way. Like, Maul just, like, kind of, like, shoves his saber away and stabs him. And, like, for as, like, grand as that fight is, that's... that I always thought that was a unceremonious way for Qui-Gon to get stabbed. I agree. And people dissect that, but I, I think it's as simple as Qui-Gon was in tune with the Force, and the Force might have told him to strike there because the Force wanted Maul to kill him. Yeah, th that's like what I mean. Like, it, yes. you could read it as like Qui-Gon kind of letting that happen. You know what I mean? Because he maybe knew yes. he had to. And that's what he uh, does. And later we see that with Ahsoka. Uh, she has the same uh, views as Qui-Gon, actually. I didn't see... So, I haven't seen Clone Wars yet, but I've, it's like always one of those shows that I've had on my backlog, but it's just really long. But I will watch it one day because I really want to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's what I have to say about Duel of Fates. I think it's one of the most important moments in the history of uh star wars you know as a franchise but also within the context of the story of the chosen one of anakin and the skywalkers i think you know duel of fates is it's a for one it's a great fight maul's awesome obi-wan when he runs out after watching that happen he's pacing back and forth he's ready to fight when he runs out and fights him that's awesome the only thing that rivals that is you know return of the jedi or revenge of the sith you could argue return of the jedi but that's up for debate. Um, that's my analysis of it. What I'll do right now is um, I'll just explain the end of the movie real quick, and then we can give our overall thoughts. Sound good? Yeah. Because after this, we get the ceremony scene, uh, and we kind of understand the rule of two. I think Mace Windu uh, says it. He says there's always two. So the mystery uh, of the one... Uh, I'm pretty sure that's Yoda, because then Mace asks... Oh, true, yeah. Who did we kill, the Master or the Apprentice? That's true. So the mystery of the one Sith was dealt with. Was it the Master or Apprentice? The other one is actually behind the scenes. And they say that as it pans to a shot of Chancellor Palpatine looking at Anakin and telling him that he's looking forward to seeing uh, what his future holds, essentially. Yeah, we didn't, like... Uh touch on ian mcdermott's performance so i think now's a great time dude sure in this entire yeah. trilogy he's one of the greatest villains in cinematic history by far like he's yes just a classic evil like we don't know what his motivations are and i don't care Who i think cares? he's a better villain Nobody than Vader. gives a damn yeah. he just he's evil and he loves it and like he has the like like <laughs> so you know true. like when he's still behind the scenes and he's like interacting with people he's so likable he's so friendly that sometimes even though i've seen these movies a bunch of times he still tricks me into thinking that he's not a powerful sith lord who's plotting to take over the galaxy because i'm like no but he's like really nice and really friendly like he can't be evil come on like he may be the best actor in all of star wars he, i mean um, i can't really Oh, well, <laughs> I'd say he's up there with 
Adam Driver and Daisy Ridley. But I mean, yeah, definitely. Like, cause yeah, you know, the performances in Star Wars aren't exactly like high class. You know, like you know, like a, they're not really a tour de force, as you'd say. Yeah. But I mean, Ian McDermott, like he's he just brings so much. Like, you know, when he's like you know regular Chancellor Palpatine, he's friendly. But then once he once he's full revealed, he's just like. You don't want to mess with this guy. <laughs> I I love Palps. I love Palps so much. Um, literally, the Senate podcast is is he calls himself the Senate. That's literally where I get the name from. Is Palpatine? <laughs> it's it's from the meme. So you know, if you're listening to this in the podcast, this is where I get the name the Senate podcast from. It's because literally he refers to himself as the Senate. Um, because his character, the development, let alone the acting, it's fantastic. Um, our review of episode three is, I'm not even going to lie, it's, it's going to be probably three hours long. Yeah, dude. I got a lot to say just about yes. his dynamic with Anakin alone. Yes. And that's what I'm hinting towards uh, with this very last uh, little bit I have here is him looking over his shoulder telling him, you know, Whatever he says, I forget exactly what he says. We'll, but. we'll be watching your career with great yes, interest. Great interest. And it's like, so, yeah, I um, bet you will. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's it for the Phantom Menace. Uh, I'll say a few, just a few short things. Uh, Liam Neeson kills it um, as Qui-Gon. Yeah. I believe, you know, we're going to see more of him in Obi-Wan Season 2. I don't care if I'm spoiling that for anybody. Um Whether or not they do him justice, who knows? Uh, I think he's going to basically, you know, give Obi-Wan some of those, you know, lessons <laughs> that he should have in this movie or before this movie that weren't necessarily what the Jedi Council thought. But I love him as an actor. I think he kills it as Qui-Gon. Ray Park is absolutely amazing. Dude, I'm such a big Episode One fan. I met Ray Park. Got pictures with him. Oh, really? Got him, yeah, I got him to sign my Darth Maul uh, Funko Pop. Oh, dude, that's crazy. <laughs> It was awesome. Um, besides that, I think really the standouts in this movie, for me personally, were um, were Qui Gon, uh, Padme. In terms of performances, it was Qui Gon, Padme. I would say um, probably Obi Wan, just because Ray Parker Maul wasn't in it enough, but. Absolutely love the movie. Uh, I understand why it could be boring for a lot of people. It kind of is because it's setting up. The whole movie is setting up. It's not delivering on really anything. That's why they made Padme and everything going on with Naboo the story because that was something they could start and wrap up in this movie. They weren't able to really wrap up anything you know, like that in this movie. That's why I think um, the third movies, Return of the Jedi and Revenge of the Sith, are my favorites because it wraps up a lot. But as a intro movie where it's introducing so many people, so many uh, relationships and dynamics, I think it does a great job. Of course, it could do a lot better. I think it could do the action a little better and the dialogue a little better. But in terms of uh, a first movie, I think, you know, I just have so much nostalgia and love for what George Lucas does that this movie is, you know, so high up there for me. I just absolutely love it. So that's kind of my analysis of it, bringing in what 
a lot of what uh, George says in his commentaries and a lot of, you know, my head can head cannon and some, some things you even added that, you know, I never thought of before. So I hope that I kind of explained it well to you and kind of bounced some things off of you. Yeah. You know, if there's anything, you know, anything you want to add, uh, let me have it. Tell me what you think of the performances. Um, where does this kind of rank for you in terms of uh, Star Wars? Alright, first I'll just give my overall impression of the of movie. Um, I think this movie's okay. Like, I don't really have any strong feelings about it one way or the other that much. Like, it's it's a cheesy, you know, sci-fi B movie that has a big budget. And that's what George yeah. wanted to make. I love it. Yeah, That's what he loved when he was a kid. You know, probably yes. part of what got him into filmmaking in the first place. Um, yeah, I like... Uh, you know, the effects were groundbreaking at the time, uh, ex- except for the Yoda puppet. That thing kind of sucks, in my opinion. And I'm glad. I it, loved it. What? It looks way better in the original trilogy, in my opinion. But um, I think so. I think. But right. Yeah, it does a great uh, uh, Roger Ebert in his review. He called it an astonishing achievement in imaginative filmmaking. And I mean. You know, yeah. even though it's not a movie I necessarily love, it's not going to be a Star Wars movie that I rewatch that much on my own. But I mean, it is a groundbreaking achievement in many ways, for sure. You know, iconography, all that. Um, as far as performances and character, in my opinion, the standouts are Jake Lloyd as Anakin. In spite of my problems with the writing of that character, that's yeah, not on Jake. That's fair. Um, he did a good job. He really did. I like Padme. Uh, I think Natalie Portman managed to break through the the lifeless uh, tone of the performances in this movie. Um, Especially with um, the story she was given uh, with, you know, her being a queen fighting against uh, blockades and taxation. You know what I mean? Yeah. She she was able to make that um, enjoyable. Yeah. Um, Liam Neeson is Qui-Gon. Great. Uh, in my opinion, Ewan McGregor doesn't really stand out until the other movies, you know, episode two and three. In this movie, they didn't... I think my biggest problem is that Obi-Wan doesn't really have that much to do. I like his physicality. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's like just kind he, of what I'm thinking. Yeah. When he's on screen, he's great. I just wish he was in it more because he gets so good later on. Um... Because yeah. he has more to do. Uh, Ray Park was great. We've already said our piece about Ian McDermott. Fantastic. Um, <sighs> Beast. Beast. I'd say in my Star Wars movies, uh, this is definitely not uh, in my top five. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, there are, like, th- like, there are things in this movie that are some of my favorite stuff in the entire series. You know, so I can I can say that much, and actually, at least there's like, something to love. Yeah, know? and like uh, doing this episode with you helped me appreciate it a little bit in ways that uh, I never did, that I never really thought of. So I always like when people can kind of change my mind on something or make me see something in a different way. Um, and I think it, I think it sets a pretty solid foundation. You know, like there's a reason that it. 
ends in a similar way to a new hope because you know like you you were saying like luke and it does anakin start traveling on the same kind of path but then as we'll see in the other movies they turn and they go on different paths and i think um that gets explored better in the other movies and i can't wait to talk about attack of the clones because that's certainly one of the movies that i've seen (laughs) <laughs> that is certainly a movie it it is a major production and speaking of um just a parallel between luke and anakin that scene with qui-gon where they're talking about midichlorians originally that was supposed to be in like a garage but he wanted it to be on a balcony so they could uh have anakin looking up at the stars wondering you know what's out there oh similar yeah I, to how the start of um you know new hope with i love luke that line up. where he's like he's like asking how many planets there are and then he's like i'm gonna be the f- first one to see them all <laughs> yeah i there's like i said there's so much um there's still so much in this movie to love like george definitely put the time love and care into this movie and there's so much special about it so i'm glad i'm glad we could discuss it like and analyze it this is um star wars is very nostalgia driven for a lot of people and this is definitely one of the most nostalgic movies for me out of all of the star wars movies so thank you for coming on and talking about it giving your inputs because it's fun having you on we have different opinions about a lot of um topics especially star wars yeah it's always a pleasure look at the other side it's always a pleasure i love having this as a as a way to drop my spicy takes on stuff yeah, did you just drop the spicy takes? Uh-huh. I mean, this is how it's going to start out with the prequels like this. And I can't wait once we get to the OT um, and, and sequels because I've been, you know, I've been going back and forth on the sequels for a long time. So I want to, I want you to change my mind. I will try. <laughs> All right. We've been going long enough. Again, thanks for coming on. Had a lot of fun. Um, if you got this far listening, uh, thank you. We are on pretty much everything. I actually had Amazon hit me up and they put us on spot, uh, Aud- audible and Amazon music. Oh, so we're on, um, like I said, Spotify, YouTube, uh, Google podcast, Apple podcast, audible, Amazon music. And I think one other weird one I can't pronounce. So support us on there. So until next time you got anything else to say, uh, may the force be with you all. That's what I was going to say. Ah, sorry. All right, see you, man. Uh, Those aren't the droids you're looking for, by the way. These aren't (laughs) the droids you're looking for.